I don't go to many churches where you see a sign like this on the floor. Expect a miracle. You know, um, I've not started yet, you're all leaving. <laughs> Just the young ones. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> I thought, I've not even started the going. And there's something going on down this area. I keep hearing some noises, some, it's a phone or some toy or something. But I'd like it. You know, expect a miracle. And time is one of those things, you know, it's so applicable, I've got no idea. Because my sermon um, today is going to be called Time for the Next Step. That, that's going to be the title of my sermon, Time for the Next Step. So that is just, because you know, we need more miracles. And uh, when I left the region, I've got to say the last year was probably emotionally the most difficult year for me because I lost three of my pastors, died. And um, all in the, well, two in the 50s and one was 37. Two of cancer, one died with COVID. And I couldn't go to the funerals. You know, it was just horrendous. And I'm trying to be strong. I'm trying to be strong for them and their families and Yet, I am, fooled, I am filled with confusion. Why? Because we believe in a God of miracles, but we don't see as many as we want to. And I don't know whether you do, but I certainly don't see as many as I would like to see. And so, I don't know about other preachers, but the, pre the preaching that I find the most benefit is, are the ones that speak to me. And so this came out of my search about what's happening with the time that I've got and the time that I've got ahead of me because some of you young people who think when you retire, well, the next step is death. But that's not quite the case. I believe God has a plan for my life. I believe he's got a plan for David and Sue's life. And anybody here who's got grey hair and that's not died... And even the one or two people who've got no hair, sorry, good to see you there. Um, maybe got to do a miracle there, you know. God has all, there's always the next step. There's always something until the day you go. To, and so, my, my wife sends her apologies, she's not here. But this was what we were talking about. We're seeing people die who shouldn't die. It's, in my opinion, they shouldn't be dead. But you have to accept God is sovereign. So it's, um, it's that tension you live in as a Christian. Like you expect a miracle, but you don't always get one. And so Margaret, my wife, and she sends her apologies. She's, um, this book has just been launched today in the Glasgow church where we come from. So she's doing a book launch there. Experiencing the miracle worker in today's world. She's written about 33 of the miracles of Jesus and he's trying just to get back, in her thinking, to the supernatural God. You see, I love modern church. I love the drums. That drummer's got a great rhythm. I love the cool bass player who sits there and plonks the bass. I love all the stuff. But some churches have become formulaic. 
and it's, it's like you've got this one hour, 15 minutes, in and out, everything's pre-packaged, everything, the, the worship set cannot alter, or you will have absolute rebellion from the worship team if ever you change a song. Yet, the God I worship is a supernatural God. And so we've been thinking about getting back to the, some of the things that we feel we've got a bit blunt in, and we feel we want to get sharp in, to see God move in a supernatural way. So she wrote that book. Um, she's written several books. We brought some of them down there. They're eight pound, but I always do a Liverpool bargain. Seven pound today. So ignore, ignore the eight pound sign. Um, they're, they're seven pound. Anybody would want one. And just to say, probably one of my favourite books would be this one, just to mention The Woman at the Well. The Well and the Woman. Um, so many people give her such bad press. Margaret sat down and imagined what on earth could have happened in her life that she would have had five husbands and the guy that she was living with right now wasn't a husband. She must have had a hell of a life in that culture. And so Margaret wrote with an incredibly sympathetic imagination. But it's all about destiny. She positioned herself on that day. She had no idea, destiny. When she met Jesus, everything changed. Tradition, not the Bible, says that she went on to lead churches and became incredibly well-known, and she was actually martyred for Jesus, they say, the, the books, and she was thrown down a well because she was causing so much trouble to the people of the day, and people were getting saved in their thousands, and so they killed her. And so that's just, it's just an incredible read. Would good that to you. But I want to talk, and I feel I've, you know, it's just, I just can't, I've got goosebumps. I've got no idea what it was you'd got me. I was hoping it was money. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but no, I'd got no idea. James did say, I've got a gift for you. Because there's a time for everything time to be born, time to retire. Time to get refired, and there will be a day when I will draw my last breath. But we'll come to that at the end of the sermon. Not that I'm going to die at the end of the sermon, <laughs> just in case you're thinking I'm going to set myself on fire at the end of the sermon and say, this is it, this is the moment, I'm going to die in Liverpool. And can I just say, I was really heartbroken for you guys last week when you didn't win the European Cup. I was rooting for you. No offence to any Germans, but I wanted you to win. And um, it was so sad when you didn't. And, uh, but Everton survived, so if you're, if you're an Evertonian, you're pleased that they've stayed up and things go around. But it was sad that it didn't quite work out for you. But you see, there's always a next step. There's always a next step. In the last couple of years, there has been a lot of problems in the churches with covid and all the weeks, months we couldn't meet. And now churches are starting to rebuild and reset. They're rebuilding, trying to get people back who've lost. And obviously for you guys, there's a different reset in the process, in the gift mix, accompanied with all of the things that go with it. And I go back, if you're going to turn with the Bible to me, Matthew 14. I know, what time do you normally finish, James? Don't say 12 o'clock because I'm going to be desperately unhappy. About 40 minutes, okay, great. 
because I don't want to be rude to the time, because I believe we're going to eat afterwards, one or two of us, so that's nice. Matthew 14, Matthew 14. Very well-known story about somebody who it was time to get out the boat. I've preached on this passage many times, but in the last 18 months I went back to this passage because I've been wondering about my next step. What is it that God wants me to do in my next step? I felt him talking to me about finishing the role. I finished a year or so earlier. I could have gone until the conference just gone, and I could have retired at the conference, uh, but I felt God's timing was it was time to move to do something else. And I actually missed the conference. I caught COVID, and I caught it in Lanzarote. So we had to stay 10 extra days in Lanzarote. You know, God is so good. If you're going to be ill, Lanzarote was a nice place to have a headache. That's all I got, a headache. Margaret, she was really ill, but I only had a headache. No, she was, she was mopping my fevered brow. But in this passage, which I'll read now, we see about someone who took a step, a very brave step, had to face a lot of things as we'll see. And so I want to say, and I, I feel... And you know, sometimes as preachers, you can put God's name to something that's not God's name. I feel God's brought me here to share this word with you guys today to say to you, it's time for your next step. The $64,000 question, what is it? Now, there's some obvious things that are happening in the churches, which is, but I'm just saying for every single one of you, for you handsome people on the outside edges in the cheap seats, there's, there's the next step God wants for you. The people down here, these young handsome family, all of your family, all 40 of them, they're all down here. There's a step. You cool bass player, there's a, there's a step that God's got for you. For the drummer, there's a, God's got a step for you. Become a Christian. Yeah, you know, no, I'm joking. God's got, God, but God's got things for all of us to do. But the $64,000 question is, it's not always blooming easy what it is. We're open for it, so what is it? So let me just read the scriptures. Um, in Matthew 14, verse 25, it says this. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on a lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost. They said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, which as you know you don't, you don't see wind, you feel it. Interesting. But when he saw, you can see he's getting his eyes off Jesus. If you're going to get to your next step, you've got to keep focus, but don't... Don't spoil your own sermon, Kevin. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him 
You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Great story. I think poor Peter gets a bad press. He gets slammed for being a man of a little faith. And the other disciples are all sat scared to death in the boat. But he's the only one who gets out of the boat. And I, I'm thinking, that's a bit harsh, Lord. It's a bit harsh. What's that all about? What's your next step? What is stopping you taking your next step? And what will it take to get you out of the boat? In 2001, John Ortberg wrote that classic book. I'm sure David's got it on his shelf. I know he doesn't read books very often, but... Um, but there's a great book, and it really blessed me in 2000. I was pastor in Glasgow. You're the second best churches in the world. Glasgow's the best church in the world. And I, I, we've grown to 400 people, and it's just going incredibly well. And the Glaswegians, a bit like Liverpoolians, when they love you, they love you. When they don't love you, they don't love you. But, but they love me after a little while. It took a bit of a while because I was English. And they weren't too keen on me because I wasn't a jocko. But eventually they grow to lovers, and it was just amazing. But God was about to ask me to get out of the boat. And so I thought I would read this book. Many of you, it's probably one of the naffish titles of a book I've ever read. It says, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. That was the title of the book, and I read it. And God began to speak to me. And at the same time, my boss, John Glass, came to see me. And said, said to me, Kevin, I think it could be time for the next step. And I couldn't possibly think of taking a step out of the boat of the comfort of being the Glasgow pastor. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And he told me a story. He says, leaders, in his opinion, reach a point where the pain to change gets too hard and they don't keep moving and that's why some churches stagnate you can go to some churches and I go to preach to many you go to some churches and you can almost tell by the decor and the songs that they sing the last time God was moving in that church that, that they get hooked into something that it's like they've got they just can't see anything that's new and they get and the cost to keep changing for you guys the next step is going to cost you all different things. It's going to cost you to take the next step. And it's not going to be the same cost, but it's different, but it's going to be a cost. And whatever it is, there's always a cost. And so, what is it? How do we get there? What's the way forward? You know, I was determined I wanted to keep moving forward. P Peter, it was a lonely walk. To get out the boat, he was lonely because he was all by himself. You know, we live in this complacent world where people are very nervous about sticking out and about making steps. And I, I, I go to many churches where I think, come on, where's someone with a bit of unction, a bit of, to go against the grain and to go a bit in something that's fresh and new in God? Because it's lonely when you do something like that. But it also can be phenomenally excited. It must have been the first bit of the walk. I'm sure when Peter got to heaven, he would have said to God, could you cut the second bit out? 
Could, we, could you just put into the Bible the first bit where I get out the boat and I start walking on the water just like you did? Pretty cool. Do you have to put in the bit where I'm sinking? Do you have to put in the bit where I'm crying out in fear? Can't you just do that bit? But you see, God, one of the things that convinced me that the word of God is the word of God, you see, it, all of the warts, David very, very bravely shared about 2.13 and the, the, the physical and emotional cost of going through a split. If ever you've done it, you'll never know what it's like. It's most, the most incredible thing. But you're now living in an exciting season. Now, you wouldn't have volunteered at the time to go through what you went through, but what you're ending up with is something magnificent. How do we know then? So, very quickly, in this passage, here's, I want to give you four bits of advice to how to know what the next step is. Because I can't come and just say to you, because um, I'm, I'm not a major prophetic figure, I can't just stand you up and say, you handsome young man, the next step for you is Bible college. Young lady, the next step for you is you're going to get a new husband. But I've already got one. Oh, sorry, I have wrong word. You know, I, I, I don't move in that kind of a... That's not my anointing. But I love the way the Bible gives us clues. What's the next step? So firstly, the first thing is you have to listen to the call. Don't do something on a second-guess basis. What Peter says, and I'm sure you guys have gone through this process, trying to hear what God is saying to you. Peter says, if you want me to get out of the boat, you must ask me to come. Don't get out the boat if you don't hear the voice of God. Don't hear the call of God, you'll sink. Don't go on a, a whizzo hot sermon or you happen to hear a great Bethel track or something. You think, oh, that, that would be a great thing to do. My best mate's done that, so let me do that. It is so important to hear the call. Seems a million years ago now, 1990, before many of you were born, I was a youth pastor. Use your imagination. Imagine a slimmer me with ribs and hair. And we'd got 120 people in the youth group. And the phone went one night, and there was this voice from Scotland. And I'm thinking, what in God's name are they saying? Forgive me any Scots people here, but it is a very difficult accent. And I don't know, I, I must have said, apologise, excuse me, tell me again. And it was a man called Jackie Clark, inviting me to go to Glasgow for an interview to become the pastor of the Glasgow church. I'd never been further north than Blackpool. I thought, naively, Scotland was the north of England. Did? Went for the interview. Really tough. Forty people. And I've got 120 people in my youth group. Why would I want to go up to Scotland where they don't even like you? Give you an illustration. I did six great weeks of my best Bible studies. And on a Sunday morning, I did something really stupid. I said to the church, come on now, church. You've heard me for six weeks. How many of you still wish you had a Scottish pastor? Every single person put their hand up. Every, all those nice old ladies, the hands went up, everybody's hand went up. Even my wife's hand went up 
because she was homesick and wasn't liking it at all. And I thought, stink me, that's really encouraging. But you see, God spoke to me and Margaret. The elders came to see me when they heard I was thinking of going. And the elder, one of the elders particularly said to me, it is not God's will for you to go. You've got all these young people. It happened three of his kids were in the youth group, but he was a bit biased. But he, he said to me, it's not God's will, you need to stay. And that's very tough when it's somebody I really respected. I went to bed that night and I was reading my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers' classic devotional book. And the reading was, and I'm living in Derby, says, you've been here long enough, go to the hill country. That was the reading. I think it's from Deuteronomy. And I read down the writing. It says, even if the godliest man you know comes to speak to you and tries and talks you against doing what I've told you to do, do what I tell you to do. And we went to Glasgow and we experienced the most amazing time. <sighs> Margaret cried as much when we left Glasgow because we were phenomenally happy and I didn't want to go to the region. Every step, there's tears, but every step depends on listening to the call of God. And so folks, first thing to do is, you know one of the side effects of COVID that they talk about is brain fog. Now I don't have much of a brain anyway, so I, I tend to live in a fog. But a lot of people who've had COVID have said that it's like a confusion thing in their brain. And I've got to say to, the, to yourself, to, to you, and I say it politely, but I think a lot of Christians suffer from spiritual brain fog. They're spoon-fed on CDs. They're spoon-fed on, on nowadays on all of these like things on tapes, and you go onto computers and get the latest thing from the states. We seem to have lost the discipline of hearing from God for ourselves, And so, how do you know what God's saying? You've got to start listening to him. And you might find him, as David said, falling down on your backside down a hillside in Wales, not through the inspiring preaching he was hearing, but God spoke to him on a hillside on his backside in the mud. And it did something that changed his life because God said it. Can you see the difference? A word from God is worth a million from anybody else. So don't do it, anything, until you hear God speak. Listen to his call. What is he saying? So much noise. Wonderful verse in Isaiah 30, verse 21 says, Whatever you, Whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. We've got to listen to one voice. And in my opinion, the only way you can get there is by being still. You know, it doesn't say be busy and know that I am God. It says be still. It says those who wait. That's a demonic word, isn't it? I've been known to change supermarket queues seven times to try to get in a faster lane to get out of the supermarket queue. Because who looks, you avoid, you avoid middle-aged women because they talk. So you're, you're looking for some young, young kid who looks 
like totally got a bag on, so you know they'll just go boom, 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 get you through quick. And then the lady in front of you, you think, right, I'm just one person to go. And then she goes into a bag and she pulls out all of the vouchers. And in Jesus' name, you want to slap her for delay. Waiting is not easy. It's a discipline. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Go quickly. So you've got to focus for church. Focus. Focus on God and Jesus. And he'll tell you what the next step is. But the next question is, what will you do when he speaks to you? Because the next point is this. The next step to know God's next step, and it may surprise you, expect to feel fear. You think, surely if God says, I want you to do this, you can walk along going, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Everything's marvellous. Oh, what a beautiful morning and a great... I want to tell you, six times in those four, four verses, you'll see the word fear or afraid. You keep seeing fear, fear, fear. These are disciples. These are the top blokes. These are the toppins. They're like, some of them went on to be apostles. You know, they're, they're like top people. They've got, they've got the top mansions. They're in, they're in the Mayfair in heaven. Yet, they're scared. Why is it we're surprised if we take a step for God, the next thing we feel is like we're sinking? Oh, I've taken a step too far. I remember, I became a member of what's called our national leadership team. It means nothing to you, but, it, it, but I went to my very first meeting. I went down from Scotland, I went to Derby first, and the meeting was going to be held in a place called Cheltenham, and I went down early so I wouldn't be late. So I did half of the journey. Then on the Monday morning, I got on the motorway to do the last hour, and the blooming traffic jam. So I arrived one and a half hours late for my very first NLT meeting. And we had a man called Wynne Lewis, who I think was a Christian. And uh, he, he, was, he was such an aggressive personality. And I, I landed an hour and a half late, and I've got my best suit, and I've checked my flies, took my shirt into all the... Because I'm going to go with these giants of the faith. And they walked me through the labyrinth of Cheltenham, and I walked in, and Wynne said, I'm so pleased you finally come, Kevin. Sit down. And I sat down. I was so nervous, and I looked at my heroes, the people who were the people who were like the top blokes, top people, really. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a celestial cock-up. I have got to get out and get into my car. And the door, the emergency exit was there. And I'm telling you, I've got this incredible drive just to push the door open, get in the car and drive back and say, this is all, I shouldn't be doing this. Why? I'm intimidated. I feel intimidated by the greatness in the room. And I know I'm me. Council House boy from Derby, next to Colin Dyer, the London Ballet. Put me next to Colin, who even when he flicks a crumb for his mouth, is artistic. <laughs> it's, it's just, I'm out of my depth. You know what it's like? You just feel complete. Am I the only one that ever felt out of my depth? Like you're sinking? I can't do this, it's too big. Every single step I've made in 37 years as a minister to move on for God is full of fear. 
When I decided to leave the region and leave early, there was a financial fear. We got paid very well, and I was leaving 18 months of salary. And that was a decision to think about. I thought that being retired, how will people treat me? Do they view me different? People were starting to say to me in Elim, in your generation, did you do things this way? They'd already shunted me without ever volunteering. Because the hair's grey, they'd moved me to one side. And I'm thinking, well, have I got a future? And what, will I still be able to do what I do? And it was an anxious time. But God called me to put it down. And as I stepped out of the boat, I felt anxiety. I felt fear. I felt a bit of stress. But what is the answer to fear in the Bible? You see, this is where, for years I preach faith is the answer to fear. Yet, I don't think that, it's important faith, don't get me wrong, but in 1 John 4, it actually says, perfect love casts out all fear. It's actually getting into the arms of God and letting his love, because he knows I'm fearful. You know, I can put on the mask, you know when we played football, guys? You know when you got that big centre half is built like a brick toilet, kicks you and your leg is really hurting. You jump up and think, is that the best you can do? <laughs> Didn't even feel it, pal. But when you went home, you showed your wife, you were, oh, my leg really hurts. He really kicked me very hard. But this a bit of this macho, you pretend. Everything's okay. But there's something about naming they're, anxious. They're, all, they're all afraid. They thought he was a go, Jesus. They've spent three years with him. He's walking on the water and they're terrified of him. So don't be surprised if you're taking steps forward and you feel anxious. It's perfectly normal. You see, if, if we let fear win, we pay a heavy price. I haven't got that up. Oh dear. We'll move on. Pay a heavy price. I put in my notes there, if fear wins, three things that you lose. I've got, I haven't got time to preach about it. But you lose self-esteem, you lose destiny, and you lose your joy. If, if you let fear win, have you ever met a happy, worried person? You know, so many Christians get baptized in vinegar rather than joy. And why is it? Because they get anxious. We don't really trust him. And the key is to soak in his love. Third thing in verse 31, the thing that's helped me most of my life is grab his hand. Hold his hand. We, had a, we, we, we didn't have three awakenings, David. We had one awakening in our church in 94. And can I tell you, when there's an awakening in your church, it's the hardest time of, the, it's very difficult to take a church into a move of the Spirit because not everyone's happy. In our case, people were falling over at the most unlikeliest times. It wasn't at the front. You know, you did communion lovely today. You did really nice, very professional, Paul. Imagine trying to do Paul to do communion when you invite your servers forward and they all fall over. You invite four more servers and they fall over. My record was 12 servers and they fell over. And I, I, I began to get so desperate, I, I was looking out for unsafe people to call forward to serve communion. They fell over. 
And I'm thinking, what on earth do I do? Because I'm, I'm a pastor and I always get communion in because people will be really angry with me if we've not done communion. So I said, I'm going to serve communion myself this morning, I said. And as they did, all these bodies on the floor, as one, began to just laugh. And it was just everyone, every, the whole church, you know, it's supposed to be a solemn moment. And they're all, and I've got no good for this. This is not, never happened again in 37 years. It was a one-off Sunday. And I said, could it be, church, that God doesn't want us to take communion this morning? And they all blooming cheered. And so we just put all the chairs to the side. And in five minutes, there were 250 bodies laid on the floor, Slain in the power of the Spirit, great meeting, I go home depressed. Because I haven't done communion. And there weren't emails in those days, but I know there's going to be letters. There's going to be letters, call yourself a pastor. But, you know, there are times when you're desperate, and there are times when you've got to reach out and say, God, I don't know what to do here. Would you please hold my hand? Remember when you was a child, and mum or dad got hold of your hand, and you were feeling a bit scared? feeling a bit anxious about what to do in a shop or you're going somewhere that's new to you and you put your hand in your hand of your parent and suddenly you feel just a little bit better, just a little bit stronger. Hold his hand. As you guys walk forward in whatever you're going to do together or do in your lives, hold his hand. Keep hold of hands with God and you won't fall, you will not sink, you will prosper. But you will, you will be afraid, you will feel anxious. And I've, I close with this very quickly. Final thing, it's your choice. I would love to say in the scriptures, it doesn't say this, but my imagination, I'd love to imagine that God would have sent a lightning bolt and just blew the boat up, and the other, other 11 sank. I just, you know, just as a human being, I'm thinking, poor Peter, he's, he's there, he's getting all this stick, and you guys are sat in your boat of comfort. Why don't you send a lightning bolt and kill them, Lord? But that's very much Old Testament. What does God do? Nothing. He still loves them. still cares for them. They still went on, all of them, to fulfill their destiny. They went on, but they missed a chance to get out of the boat. That's what they missed. They missed a chance to go to the next step. Peter went for it. They didn't. And I close with this illustration. I've mentioned Wynne Lewis before. I went to his funeral when he finally died. And the preacher gave this illustration. And he said, Wynne Lewis was born in a date. And Wynne Lewis died this date and he says the thing about every single person who's ever lived one thing that will be the same in between the two dates is a dash you go to any graveyard you'll see 29 dash 78 i was born in 1954 and um, one day i'm living my dash now one day there'll be an end and I want to say this to you guys and girls here as I close. It's an incredible privilege to be here this morning. But you have a dash. You have a dash. Make the most of your dash. Don't get sidetracked. Don't, as I said, don't get upset over small things and go wandering around trees 
forever. When God has a destiny for you, David got back onto the path. You got back up. There was a season where you were slipping away, but you got back up to preach your point. You got back up onto the path and went on, and you've rebuilt the church to double the size it was. Two churches. God keeps moving, but you choose. You could have quit. You could have quit. I'm sure there's been days when you guys have thought, I've had enough of this. I've certainly been there. But I've made a choice. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And I've been lied about. I've been mistreated by some people. I've had horrendous things happen. But I have somehow heard God's voice. And every time I've heard it, I've said yes. Because, you know, when I die, whenever my dash is done... I would love someone to stand on a platform and say, you know what, one thing about Kevin, he fulfilled his dash. Some of you have been thrown some horrible curveballs. Some, th- some of you have had to choose, you never chose to, but you've had to live your second choice life. You never chose for your second choice life, but here you are, someone died. There was a divorce, there was a separation, there's something that didn't work out, and so here you are, but you have a choice. Do you stay in the pain or do you keep walking and say, I'm going to go for God's best and I'm going to keep getting out of the boat and I'm going to keep going forward. As for me, we wanted children. Many of you have been blessed by having, we never had kids, we wanted kids. Never happened. One of the mysteries we can't explain until we get to heaven. We learned a book, learned what you had to do, tried very hard, but nothing ever happened. Now, Caroline and Paul... Every time you took your trousers off, you got pregnant. I mean, it's just, that's not fair. That's not fair. Why you, not me? But you see, years ago, I stopped thinking like that. It's okay for you. It's okay for you. No, it's not. God's given you a set of plans to live your life, and you have to decide to say, God is seven. I will keep going your way. Sorry, Paul. Sorry, guys. Sorry, 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 children. We'll give you a science lesson later. (laughs) Can I say, I've finished, nearly finished. You're saying, thank God. (laughs) Don't dig the hole any bigger. (laughs) I think God has sent me here to Liverpool today to say to you wonderful people, it's next step time. $64,000 questions, you've got to listen for the call. See, there's a different step if you're over 70, but there's still a step. Some of you are teenagers, it's a different step. For those of you who got young children, it's a different step. For all of us, God is so phenomenally creative that he doesn't put us all on the same treadmill of experience. But we used to sing a song, There's a work for Jesus, none but you can do. Tis a task the master just for you has planned. And I don't know. But I know it's your choice. You can stay in the boat. And God will still love you. Or, you could decide, if he speaks, I'm going. And can I say this as I close? I'm really closing. It starts with the first step. Let's close our eyes. Wonder, could you come back, Paul? Just play some first step music. Don't play steps. I don't want tragedy. But if you just come back and just play. You've listened so well. Sorry if I've gone a bit longer. Blame the notices. Thank you for your kindness, for that gift. Don't drop your phone.
No, nobody heard that? No, very subtle, wasn't it? Let's just close our eyes. Let's just focus just for the last few seconds. I've walked through this in the last 18 months of my life. It's time to let something go so I can pick something up. For some of you, God's saying, let something go so we can give you something else. For some of you, he's saying, I've just got another journey for you. Just take the next level. Take it on board. But you've got to still your heart and hear from God. You've got to realize that you will feel fear. It's a real thing. That's why the Bible says 365 times, fear not. The most repeated command is because we have a problem with fear. He holds his hand out to you today to say, come on, Liverpool. If you get hold of my hand, we'll go for it. And here is how I'm going to end. I'm not going to bring anybody forward. But I, I just feel I can't preach this without giving you a challenge. What was the first thing Peter did before he got out of the boat? He had to stand. And if you're here this morning and in response to the word, you feel that you need to somehow respond, I'm available, Lord, show me what it is. If that's you, as the kids come in as quiet as you can, if you feel that God's saying to you, it's time to take a next step. And you may not know what it is, but in your heart you say, well, I'm going to do it. If that's you and you feel it, would you stand to your feet? Would you stand for the next step? Whatever God's going to show you, that you're saying, I'm up for a challenge. I'm up for the next thing, whatever God has for me. It's different between young and old. Just 10 more seconds and I'll get everybody else to stand. Anybody else who wants to stand for this appeal? Probably 80% of the church is standing, God bless you. Could the rest of us, if you can stand, would you stand now? Just stand with your brothers and sisters. Love to pray over you. Father, as I hold and look at this sea of faces of watches, there is a time for everything. And Father, I pray what you're saying to me, you're saying to these people, there is time. It's time. But Lord, we commit ourselves to start to listen like we've never listened before. There is a next step. We're showing you that we're willing. Father, when we feel fearful, help us to get hold of your hand and let your love reassure us. And Lord, most people here made a choice that they want to make the most of their dash. And Lord, no one knows how long our dash is, but Lord, we want to dash to the max, make the most of our life, help us in those decisions to go for it. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 God bless you.